into this topic today. God, with that song ringing in our ears, we think about the refreshment, the cleansing, the, the cooling relief of your Holy Spirit's impact in the life of followers of Jesus in this room. And Lord, we want to extend that to others. We want to be players in that game. We want to mimic that. Uh, by being useful in your hands. So God, I pray that that would expand today because we met together, because we opened up our hearts and our minds to learn from you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would in fact spring up a well in us of refreshing, forgiving, healing love and let the church be the church. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we've been talking all month long about spiritual gifts and we've really been basing it on this radical idea that lived at the center of the New Testament church. It was this radical egalitarian thing that sprung on planet earth for the first time ever, which was this organization called the church where everyone was a priest. The Bible called it the kingdom of priests. And what that means is that that was, uh, everybody was a leader. Everybody had a part to play. Everybody had access to God. It was never, it, the world had never seen anything like this before. And so the Apostle Paul would talk about this. And by the way, if you've ever found yourself uh, in a past life maybe, hating Christians or just not being impressed with them at all, you know, you can like this guy because he spent many years of his life hating Christians. And uh, the game turned for him and um, he eventually saw God's design for humanity and he saw through the lens of this illustration he would call the body and he would call the church the body of Christ and here's how he defined the purpose of the church this is from a letter he wrote to the Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 he said now to each one a manifestation of the spirit has been given for the common good and we've been reading this every single week in this series because this defines the way God wants the church to operate in this radical kingdom of priests way so uh, I've been just asking us all to repeat those three key parts to this particular verse so it cements in our mind and we, we remember it uh, all the time. So let's say these, these three phrases in this particular verse together, shall we? All right, so let's say, say each one, say manifestation of the Spirit, say common good. And there you have it. This is God's design for the church. That there would be this manifold set of giftings and enablements that would all come together in one body for us to achieve the purposes of God in the world. So uh, we did this series, when we pulled it together, we realized that these many different gifts that have, been, that have been given by God for the common good, the reaching and teaching project of the church, um, look like they have some affinities in them. And so then we grouped them by affinity and we came up with this four-part series that we've been in for the last four weeks, and we use these elemental titles, earth, uh, fire, wind, and water. So once again, and this is just to review, you're saying what are these categories we put them in to help you define the category, the big title, and understand what kinds of gifts we put in each. Let me mix the metaphors and play to the science fiction fans in the group, and let's assign a Star Trek Next Generation crew member to each one of these elemental groups, okay? So you can play along. Okay, so the first group was the wind gifts. All right, now we said the wind gifts were a little, little, you know, hooky spooky in a part because they feel like the most supernatural, right? So we talked about gifts of healing and gifts of language you didn't learn, gifts of interpreting those languages, gifts of prophecy, right? And these gifts, we said, brought God's voice and a sense of God's power, his immediacy to the church, right? 
All right, so now which Star Trek Next Generation crew member would maybe be in this group? Troy, that's it, right? Deanna Troy, right? So she's the ship's counselor. She's an empath. She knows stuff that nobody else knows because she just knows, right? right? So that's Deanna Troy. That, that, that fits. All right, so second group was fire gifts, and we said that they were the leading gifts. Divine enablements to lead, administrate, teach, discern right paths to take, right? So these gifts, we said, bring God's sense of vision and purpose and order to the church. So which Star Trek Next Generation crew member best fits the red group? Picard, right? Of course. Jean-Luc Picard, right? Captain, leader, sage. All right, and then here's the third group, the earth gifts. And we said these gifts were earthy because they're creative, because they're hands-on, because they're manual, because they're practical. So we listed gifts like creative communication and craftsmanship and helps last week. And so these kinds of gifts bring a sense of God's creativity and God's work to the church. So which Star Trek Next Generation uh, would be, you know, kind of emblematic of this group? Yeah, you know, everyone said Geordi. I think I missed the boat on this one. Because I'm picking Worf. What, what do you, you know, what do you think, right? Because he's not very talky, you know, he's the do, you know, he's the do guy. And, um, and he's good with his hands because he's got that double-bladed scimitar thing that he's got, <laughs> right? And so uh, that's why I said he was an earth group. He just needs a green uni, that's, and then he'd fit even better. So a la- uh, Saturday night crowd even knew what the double-bladed scimitar thing was. And, and then I knew I was with a bunch of nerds. So, um, okay, so last week, and that's this week, and, and that's water gifts. And so these gifts are like water in that they soothe and they refresh and they heal. These gifts bring a sense of God's care and nurture to the church. So which Star Trek Next Generation crew, would this, crew member would this be? Crusher, right? Yeah, right, Dr. Beverly Crusher. If you're uh, Jean-Luc Picard, that's the way you got to say, Dr. Beverly Crusher. So, um, so, you know, she's a healer. She's got the blue uniform, so that fits, right? Uh, but she's also like a confidant. I know that she wasn't the counselor, but she kind of functioned as the counselor. You know, she was a confidant for the captain a lot, wise, other things for the captain as well, uh, wise therapist, um, the one person uh, who was often turned to by mem- many crew members for care, counsel, uh, dependable touch of mercy. Okay, so now we're, understand- we're beginning to understand the water gifts and what they're like. Now, going back to the New Testament, Paul gave his uh, abiding analogy for the church was a body. And a body had a bunch of parts, a whole bunch of parts. They all have a different function, but they uh, all come together to achieve a whole project of the body. And so... I missed it. Data? Nice. Touche. So in, in Paul's body analogy, uh, these gifts help the body repair itself, right? And so if the church were like a high-performance engine, you know, racing to save the world, and it had a grand purpose, the water gifts are like the coolant. So they keep the engine of the church um, able to run with intensity why because they're it's constantly being healed it's constantly being refreshed it's constantly being restored and maintained okay and the water gifts bring that to the church so now you wonder what are the specific gifts we've put in this grouping well they begin with this one the the gift of mercy so mercy is the gift that god gives that allows a person to have this uncanny ability to joyfully practically and compassionately help those in need. 
Now, we're going to define all of the gifts that are in this category. We've done this all week or all month long just so you can maybe identify. Maybe you're in this group. And do you have the gift of mercy? Maybe you do. If so, then maybe you're the kind of person who, first thing, you express love, grace, and dignity uh, to uh, people who are maybe facing hard circumstances and crisis. It's the first thing you do. That's the first impulse in you. And if you're in that gift grouping, you say, what other impulse is there? Like, how else do you face people in hard circumstances? Well, I'll tell you, if you're not in that gift grouping, you maybe first thing you'll do is think about all the dumb decisions that led that person to the hard place, <laughs> right? So that's not natural to everybody, but it is for you because you've got the gift of mercy. You focus on alleviating sources of pain and discomfort and suffering in people. You address the needs of the lonely and forgotten. And here, you, you, if you have the gift of mercy, you might have a special concern for individual or even societal issues that oppress people, that matters to you. Now, I can begin to, I, I can't begin, rather, to enumerate all the ways that at AC3, people with this gift have moved the kingdom ball forward. And you'd think, what a hidden thing, like just mercy, right? This empathic ability. And uh, yet these kinds of people have done so much, cut such a wide swath at our church, and often invisibly, but not just inside the church, but also outside the church as well. So at AC3, in this particular local expression of the body, mercy-gifted people uh, are our market mentors, helping people learn valuable uh, job skills to, to help them move them out of uh, hard places, deacons in our church who serve needs, Living Waters team members who have extended the mercy of Jesus across the water in um, desperate places around the globe. Seeds of Grace, a volunteer, serving the poor every single week, our mercy-gifted people. Uh, people uh, helping with our MESH program, which is transitioning people, again, out of poverty and into uh, normal society. I mean, all these people doing amazing things, and they're, they're mercy-gifted people. Now, by the way, you might know that you're the mercy, a mercy-gifted person. If you have a special concern at our church, you look around for the vulnerable. And, and here's an interesting thing. This is by way of just kind of um, an opportunity for you. Some of you maybe have a special concern for a, a, a special group of people at AC3. I might call them tweeners. Tweeners because they're in between two different well-established groups at AC3. The one group would be uh, investigators, uh, tire kickers, people that we're inviting in to examine the claims of Christ. Some of them are new Christians, some of them aren't Christians yet, and they're out here, and they're happy to be out here. It's like kind of, you know, uh, don't, don't call me, I'll call you, and they're just investigating, and they're, they're happy to be in that mode. And there's another group of people over here that are really plugged in. I mean, they serve, or they give, or they're, they're connected to a small group, and they just know people, and this is their family. In between those two groups, is a group of Allen Creekers that are kind of vulnerable because they're here and they like it here, but they come into crisis, but they're not totally connected yet, and now they're vulnerable. How are we going to hang on to people like that and let them know they're part of the family? So if you've ever had a concern for that, like when a, a, a person kind of in that grouping maybe gets sick or comes into physical need, uh, is facing a hospital stay or something like that, how do we reach that person and maybe care for that person who isn't otherwise connected to uh, an existing a circle at AC3, well, if that, if that matters to you, then call me or Dan or send us an email or an elder at our church because we're looking right now at developing members for a, a care team that would serve that vulnerable, vulnerable population. And a mercy-gifted person might be really great at it. Here's a second gift in this group, and that's encouragement. So a person with a gift of encouragement has the uncanny ability to listen effectively to others, to offer wise counsel, support, 
and especially empowerment. Okay? Think about the word, encouragement, to put courage back in. Where courage is flagging and dissipating, the encourager puts courage back in. And how do you do that? By calling out potential, by strengthening the weak, by emboldening the timid, and helping other followers of Jesus see themselves the way God sees them. That doesn't come naturally to some people. Did you know that? If you're an encourager, that's like a surprise to you. But we need you because a lot of us sometimes struggle with seeing ourselves the way God sees us. So, do you have the spiritual gift of encouragement? You might. If you say about yourself, you say, well, others think about me as a, as a good listener. I've heard that before. I see that friends seek me out when they've got problems. I see that I'm naturally, I, I see the best in others. Um, I, I see the things that they, in fact, are slow to see in themselves. I see that in them even before they see that in them. Maybe you'd look at yourself and say, I am unusually tuned in to the emotional state of people around me. You know, like if they're doing like super good and I, I pick up on that right away or if they're down in the dumps like other people oblivious, I see that stuff. Maybe you'd look at yourself and say, I like to reassure people who are discouraged. And if all these things describe you, this might be your special divine enablement from the Holy Spirit to contribute to the common good. Now I'm going to say something to you encouragers, and by the way, it'll apply to everybody, but two things to keep in mind. Two things to remember that come directly from Paul's relationship with one of his friends, a guy named Timothy who was like an apprentice. And he wrote actually a couple letters to him, specifically a guy writing to one man, like not just to a church, but to one guy. And so in Paul's letters to his buddy Tim, he writes two things about his spiritual gifting. And these are fascinating. In 1 Timothy chapter 14, he says, do not neglect the, the gift that is in you. And then in the second letter to his friend, he writes, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. Those are interesting two little bits of advice for his friend because they teach you something. What do they teach you? Well, they teach you that you can neglect your gift. If he has to call a friend to not neglect his gift, that means it's eminently within your skill set and mine to neglect a gift, right? But the second thing when he says, fan into flame the gift that God has given you, that also means that it's your responsibility to develop it. So it's not, just because it's from the Holy Spirit and just because it's a supernatural enablement doesn't mean that you're not responsible to develop this thing, to fan it into flame. So that applies obviously to everybody in the room who follows Jesus and has a gift, but specifically the gift of encouragement. How might you Stop neglecting your gift and start to deploy it and fan it into flame. How might you do that? Well, here are some ideas. Number one, you could cultivate skills. Uh, you could sign up for a class in counseling or mediation or small group leadership. Uh, there's an illustration in our church. I mean, we have a mini mediation ministry in our church. Some, a lot of you don't know it. It runs under the radar. But if people get stuck in conflict situations, we have a mediation ministry to turn them to and uh, it's, it's run by a person who used her own time and money to say at some point in time, you know, I'm passionate, passionate about peacemaking in the body of Christ, and so I'm just going to get great training on this. And so she got, great, she got good at encouraging people in conflict to pursue peace. And she just developed it. It was like that was in her, but it didn't mean that she didn't have responsibility to fan it into flame. So she developed the gift in her. And by the way, if you're interested in that kind of ministry, uh, talk to Dan or email the church office. We'll hook you up. 
You can also take a risk. Here's another thing you can do to not neglect fan into flame. Take a risk. And again, I'm talking to everybody, but like if you're in this encouragement uh, group, look, next time there's an opportunity to do something encouraging, jump at it. Like, like don't hang back saying, oh, that's probably not me. Like you're gonna figure a lot of what you're about, a lot of what your spiritual gifting is by just trying, right? Just try. And so uh, like an opportunity comes up in the church, they need a youth leader or a small group apprentice or an opportunity to tell your story and you are scared. But listen, this may be an opportunity for you to take your shot. So sometimes taking a risk is the way you stop neglecting your gift. Here's another one that fits in the category, shepherding. First, let's note this. The word pastor comes from the word shepherd. So sometimes we, you'll, you'll see a spiritual gift test or whatever and they've got the gift of pastoring and you immediately go, well, not me, right? Because, you know, you don't have Rick's, uh, you know, ostensive library of books or, you know, his Bible college training or whatever. Like, listen, that's not what this gifting is fundamentally about. In fact, two weeks ago we said that teaching and shepherding are sometimes linked, but they are two separate gifts, And so pastoring comes from the word to shepherd. And it simply means you have this interest and ability to care for and guide followers of Jesus in spiritual growth. So like a shepherd does with sheep. I mean, so people with this gift are known for things. And are you known for establishing trust and confidence in relationships? And you can see that around you, that people look to you. You take responsibility to nurture the whole person as they follow Jesus. So you're not just interested maybe in the intellectual piece, which teachers are very interested in, but you also care for the whole person and and their relational world and their financial world and their sexual world and all these worlds to bring them into conformity to Christ. Or maybe you're a person who you just embrace the idea that others are looking at you as an example. That's intimidating for everybody, but as a shepherd, you look around your life and you say, wow, there's people looking at me. And you embrace that. You say, okay, let's go. Uh, you you uh, are a person who maybe spiritually protects those people that are around you. Like you, you see harmful influences, spiritual and otherwise, and you, like a good shepherd would, you guard the flock that's under your care. So this gift can be used in many different ways in the church. Uh, many of our deacons have been shepherds. Our elders obviously have, a lot of them have shepherd gifting. Small group, a lot of our small group leaders are gifted as shepherds. Our greeter team, our Creek Kids volunteers, a lot of these people have this gifting. And then here's uh, another one, the gift of faith. So a person with the spiritual gift of faith acts on God's promises with confidence and unwavering belief despite difficulties. That, by the way, is the definition of faith. But people who are gifted with faith have an ability just to demonstrate this with with an ease that the rest of us don't have because it's uncanny. It's spirit-driven. So this is a person who has an extraordinary, uncanny ability to trust God through faith hardship right so that God is present and God is at work and God is alive and God can be trusted that person has the gift of faith do you have the gift of faith you might if so there are some things that um, every person of faith ought to have qualities that they ought to be developing in their lives which you more easily demonstrate okay so everybody who loves Jesus has exhibited faith the thing that I just said Trust and confidence in the promise of God despite difficulty. 
and you can fill in the difficulty with whatever's in front of you. The fact that you don't see Jesus with your physical eyes is a difficulty in faith. Doesn't mean there's no evidence. Faith doesn't work against evidence. It works with evidence, but there are difficulties. So we express trust. And we're all called to express trust. But people with the gift of faith find it easy to know that God is faithful even when life seems impossible. People with the gift of faith firmly believe God is active in our lives. Like they just believe God is at work. So he's, he's behind this. There's something about this. God is orchestrating. God is providential. God is sovereign. People with the gift of faith live there. Uh, people with the gift of faith, your friends tell you that you're an incurable optimist. People with the gift of faith sense that God is behind, when they sense that God is behind a project or an idea and they commit to it, they can hang in there and they can bring encouragement to the rest of us who like in the white water of uncertainty are going, maybe that wasn't a good idea and the person of faith hangs on, hang on. So this gift often works in concert with the gift of intercessory prayer, which we put in the wind gifts first week. So a lot of the people in our prayer ministry are faith gifted people because they just believe God is at work. And it finds it fuels their prayer life because they can pray for you because they believe God is at work and ready to do something and break free and be faithful to his promises. And so they pray that all down. Then here I've noticed also a lot of our leaders have the gift of faith. I'll refer to two men in particular on our board of directors. One current, one, one former. And it's really wild how these people have fed the leadership culture of AC3. See, there's been times in leadership cultures, right, when, you know, the elders will, you know, come with an initiative and, you know, God wants us to go here at the front of the ship and it's like, board of directors, get that done. And, um, and the board of directors are scrambling to, to look at the difference between where we are and where we need to be. And sometimes that can be an, an intimidating gap. And I remember one of these faith-gifted men would just say, listen, that's a God-sized gap. That's what he'd always say. He's like, that's a God-sized gap. And bring our minds, remind us all that God is faithful and God is able. And wow, what a, what a gift that is to our entire leadership culture. Here's the last gift I'll put in this category, and that's the gift of hospitality. Okay, so a, gift, a person with the gift of hospitality provides a warm welcome for people that demonstrates God's love. And it often comes by providing food, shelter, or just open friendship, okay? So, here's the critical reminder, because when you see that word and you think famously of some person who exemplifies hospitality, we go to Martha Stewart, right? Martha Stewart, and so hospitality is about ding, having the polished silverware and your living room's feng shui'd and everything's just perfect, right? So that's your home is a castle and this beautiful, pristine, glowing thing, okay? So that's hospitality, wrong. Okay, that is not the gift of hospitality. The spiritual gift of hospitality has nothing to do with showiness and has nothing to do with how sparkling your dishware is. Rather, it has everything to do with the way a guest is welcomed and made to feel comfortable in your home. Okay, that's hospitality. And here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that some people with very un-Martha Stewart-like homes are high-gifted in hospitality their door is just always open and they don't care and that is in one sense a sign of their gift of hospitality because what's open is their heart their home is open because their heart is open and they care a lot less about what their couch looks like so do you have the gift of hospitality here's some clues you are comfortable around strangers 
You care deeply about how Allen Creek Community Church, because it's your church, and you care about how we welcome people. That matters to you. You may be a gifted hospitality person if you can make all kinds of people feel welcome. That's, that's easy for you. Like some people are niche conversation types, you know? If you're not talking about the Seahawks or Mariners, it's like, oh, I got nothing, you know? But, but hospitality types, they can talk about everything. Just, they can make anybody feel welcome. You enjoy providing a safe environment for those who are in need. You feel fulfilled when you open your home to others for food or friendship. That just fills your tank. Maybe you're spiritually gifted in, in hospitality. If you are more concerned with whether guests feel welcome than whether your, ho- your house is in order. So, hospitality, friends, is how uh, people bring Christ out of his house in some sense and into the world. I mean... It's heretical to say so. This isn't like the house of God. I mean, we live as the temples of God. We are the house of God. But, but hospitality is how Jesus busts out of this building into the world. And, and here's what's interesting. Hospitality is the way we show the gospel before we tell the gospel. You say, how so? Well, let's remind ourselves of what the gospel is. In the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, God not only shows us himself, but he cracks open the door to his house open wide and he says welcome strangers and he says come on in and have a seat at my banquet table and the banner over the table is love to use the language of the song of solomon and here here's new clothes we'll put on you and here's a meal of spiritual food and here i will give you sustenance and i'll be the bread of life and i'll be for you a source in this life and the life to come that's the gospel that's the good news And every single one of those gestures that God made to us in Jesus is imitated in hospitality. So hospitality just replicates all those and never underestimate its power. Now, because these water gifts are similar, like we've done for every single week, we've had, like, there's similar challenges, aren't there? There's kind of some similar uh, pitfalls uh, for these particular gift groupings. So for the water gifted, I've got three for you. Okay, three lessons from the Bible. Number one, when you care, give rightly motivated care. So here's what one shepherd says to a bunch of others. This is the apostle Peter. You remember him, Jesus' right-hand man, okay? So he writes a letter, and it's found in in the Bible at the end of your New Testament. He says, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd God's flock among you. He's talking about the shepherds. Not overseeing out of compulsion, but freely, according to God's will. Not for the money, but eagerly. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So what's he doing here? Peter is telling every water-gifted person, examine your motives. Examine your motives. Now obviously when he says, make sure you're not in it for the money, that probably doesn't apply to volunteer water-gifted people who are just, you know, doing their thing at the church, right? So when you signed up for, you know, youth sponsorship or, you know, small group leadership, we didn't hand you the keys to the company car and give you the palatial office with the view of the lake, right? That didn't happen for you. So we don't have to worry about you doing that maybe for the money, all right? But there are other motives that are also in the category of lesser motives, and he lists them, right? Like duty, compulsion, the carnal thrill of being over people, right? There's a thrill to that. Having a title, right? 
shepherd. Right? So he says, reject all such motives. Reject all such lesser motives. So water gifted person, here's the lesson. Let your touch come from a free choice that you make to submit your gifting to the master. You just surrender. It's his will. It's his gift. He put it in you. And so it's a surrender to him. It's not about your own personal self-fulfillment. or You just surrender to him. That's your motive. Let it come from a desire to lead the flock of God into green pastures and beside still waters because Jesus led you there. Let it come from gratitude to God for what he's done, the way he shepherded you. Let it come from the example of Jesus. He shepherded you. Now you're just turning around and shepherding others. That's all. Let it come from that heart. Here's a second lesson for you. And it was really beautifully illustrated in our drama this morning. Avoid compassion fatigue. So Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. Again, the Apostle Paul, he says, So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Do you ever get tired of doing good? Everybody does. We all get tired of doing good. Another translation will say, do not grow weary in well-doing. Don't grow tired of well-doing. Well, um, here's the deal is that water gifted people may be most at risk for this. Why? Because it's constantly being poured out of you. That's the way you're gifted and that's the way you're wired. So it's a near constant drain on you and then I see it all the time. The more the drain goes out, Sometimes the more the resentment builds and compassion fatigue sets in. You get fed up and you close up the streams of living water. Why? Because you're parched and you've got nothing. So how do you avoid this? I mean, it's one thing for Paul to say, okay, don't get tired of doing good. All right, thumbs up. How are you going to get that done? Because you're just pouring and it's a natural consequence of pouring out. Well, he actually gives an incredibly practical handhold on this in the same chapter just a couple of verses earlier. By the way, it's a great way to always shed light on what you're reading in the Bible. Just read it in its broader context. So Galatians chapter 6 begins in verse 2 like this. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Skipping down to verse 5. For each person will have to carry his own load. This is unbelievably important. Now, it's open for misinterpretation. In fact, the, K, the KJV, the King James Version of the Bible, uh, often translated these verses thusly. Verse 2, carry one another's burden, verse 5, for each one should carry his own burden. Does that seem like a contradiction to you? It does, doesn't it? Uh, carry everybody else's burdens because each one should carry his own burden. Seems like a total contradiction. Well, that's a problem in translation. Uh, the King James Version used a very limited vocabulary, only around about 10,000 words. And so it used the same word, English word burden, to translate two different Greek words. So the Greek word in verse 2, carry each other's burdens, refers to an unbearable weight. Literally, the idea here is going down, as in I'm going down for the count, Okay. So that's that word in verse 2. The word in verse 5, each one carries his own burden, is a Greek word that refers to freight, like something that you would carry back and forth daily. Freight. So here is the secret to longevity in care gifted ministry. 
Never carry for others what they can and must carry for themselves. Those are two different burdens. And that's how you'll stay in the game. You're a water-gifted person. I've seen some of you at the sidelines because you are burned out and done. Because you've been carrying the freight of somebody else. And it's exhausting. You were meant by the law of Christ to carry the unbearable burden. And that's what you were wired for. That's what you're gifted for. That's what will energize you. But you were not married. <laughs> married. You were not made to carry. You were not made to carry the regular duties and responsibilities. So you could summarize it like this. Help carry the burdens for each other that are too heavy to bear alone. And let no one expect others to carry the responsibilities and duties that are his alone. And there you have it. And that's a healthy church right there. So let me say it again because it's so important. Help carry the burdens for each other that are too heavy to bear alone. And let no one expect others to carry the responsibilities and duties that are his alone. So use your gift. Yes, water gifted person, use your gift, mercy, shepherding, encouragement, hospitality to carry the unbearable weight that someone else cannot carry alone. And doing that will inject life into you. But carrying the daily responsibilities of another, the freight that they can and must carry, that's going to kill you. And that's going to put you on the sideline. And then you're going to be in that weary place that Paul talks about in, in Galatians uh, it's chapter 6. So friend, it'll take some discernment. Yes, it will take some wisdom because that's a moving target. Which duties are the ones you carry on your own and which are the ones that are unbearable? Well, that changes, right? When you're two months, feeding yourself is an unbearable burden that you cannot carry alone and it must be carried by your parents. When you're 30, not so much. That duty has moved from the weight of others to you. Right? So we have to discern. And sometimes crisis puts you back into a place where a regular freight type duty or burden is now our responsibility to help you carry. So we got to figure this one out, friends, so that we can stay in the compassion game. And then lastly, we'll say, you teach us circles are better than rows. Okay, so water gifted person, this is your big gift to us. You teach us that circles are better than rows. What do I mean? Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Listen to this whole passage. It's stunning in its beauty. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, like, this is like the water-gifted manifesto right there, right? Like, that's your passage. You should hang it up on the wall someplace and say, this is me. Now, of course, this was given to all of us, right? I mean, this wasn't just give, given to people gifted in mercy or compassion or um, hospitality. It's given to all of us. But listen, if you're water-gifted, you do this stuff better than the rest of us. You're great at this stuff. You are gifted in these areas. In the same way that we're all supposed to give, you gifted givers show us some things. In the same way we're all supposed to have faith, you faith-gifted person, show us some things. In the same way we're all supposed to have compassion, you water-gifted people, show us some things. And here's the deal. You show us something that every Christian should believe and churches should structure themselves around this idea. Circles are better than rows. And I've gotten that idea, that just that phrase from another pastor, and here's what it means. The row that you're in right now matters. It's good. It's important. 
Because in this row, you're getting teaching in the way of Jesus, and you need that to fill your tank every week. In this row, you are getting to lift up Jesus publicly in worship. In this row, you get to look around the room and see your whole community and say, this is cool, I'm part of something big. In this row, you participate in the body of Christ in communion. And it's all great stuff, and you do all that in a row. But it's not as great as a circle. Why? Because in a circle, the church turns from noun to verb. Because you see, friends, it's in a circle in a living room that we share life together and laughter and needs and open up a Bible and learn. It's in a circle of prayer that some need gets addressed and the power of God is invoked on the needy in the body of Christ. It's in circles at a youth group that problems are unpacked and counsel is given and acceptance is extended it's in a circle very often that jesus christ is first time invited into a person's life as forgiver and leader that often happens in a circle it's in circles in classrooms that the deepest learning takes place it's in small circles of trusted counsel where old sins are confessed and abandoned where relationships begin to heal it's in circles in kitchens where your neighbors begin to get a picture of the kingdom of god by your acceptance and love and grace it's in circles around fires in the woods and in your backyard that people who are just on the outside sniffing at the kingdom of god get to get welcomed in and say come on in and be a part of the family that happens in circles friends so show us prove this at ac3 i i dare you i deputize you water gifted person to demonstrate to the rest of us that circles are better than rows because that's when a church turns from noun to verb ac3 you have no idea how powerful water gifts are when they are faithfully deployed in the world and I'll give you a powerful example. All of the gifts, it seems, were deployed in one of the most unlikely conversion stories that you'll ever read about in recent history. It's the story of a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. I want you to imagine a person as far from God as you can possibly imagine, as far from the church, as far from Christians as you can imagine. And whatever picture you've got in your mind, I'm gonna trumpet right now by describing Rosaria Butterfield in 1999. Rosaria was an ex-Roman Catholic. She had left the, kid, uh, the church as a kid. There was the whole gamut of abuse uh, that was in her background. She became a feminist uh, philosophy major, an LGBT advocate, an open lesbian, living with her partner for 10 years. She uh, super smart. She got a PhD from Ohio State, professor at Syracuse, specializing in queer theory. Literary heroes, Freud, Marx, and Darwin. She wrote a Syracuse's uh, policy for same-sex couples. She wrote a book on the religious right and quote, their politics of hatred against people like me. Now, can you imagine a person farther from the Christian gospel? Then one day, she met a conservative, older, reformed Presbyterian pastor named Ken Smith and his wife, Floyd. Do they sound old school or what, right? And they were. And she thought, I could use this guy as a resource for my book on the religious right and the ugliness of the Bible. So they began a relationship for the purposes of research. Well, it turns out that Ken lived in her neighborhood, like really close in New York. So Rosaria was shocked by two things. Number one, that Ken and Floyd easily invited her uh, into uh, their home. Like her and her lover, just come on in and let's you know talk and have a meal. Two, that... Uh, 
Ken and Floyd's home looked like, like a normal home. That was the second thing that shocked her. Was like, this looks like normal people live here. And so then she started to get to know Ken's Christian community. And they just invited her in. They struck up conversations and friendship. They have long, sometimes hard conversations about religion and politics. But then things turned when Rosaria's romantic relationship soured. And feeling more lost than a very intelligent and self-assured professor would like to admit, she found herself crashing at their house every week for two years. And now I'm quoting her. She says, For two years I was loved and welcomed by a Christian community that I had mocked, despised, and rejected. I accepted them when it worked for me and rejected them all the other times. At their home, she's talking about Ken and Floyd, the door was wide open. People were always in and out of the house, people from church and people not from church. It was so disarming, I couldn't help but go back. It was in this context of hospitality that Ken brought the church to me because it was impossible for me to get to the church without the bridge of somebody's home. And so then in 2003, the unlikeliest of converts bowed the knee of her heart and Rosaria Butterfield became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today she's an author and a gifted uh, deacon in a church, a mother, and uh, a life entirely changed by the gospel of Jesus. And it begun where? With water gifts, with gifts of mercy and hospitality and faith. Don't ever underestimate the power of your gifts faithfully deployed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Never. You are the care and the coolant, water-gifted person, with the body of Christ. So lead us. Show us the great shepherd by showing us right motivation and care. Show us longevity in care. And show us that circles are better than rows. All right, Dan's going to come now and give us an application. Let's take this home, friends, and be more of the dream that God has in mind with the church. All right, uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you uh, throughout the series feel like you've moved the ball down the field when it comes to your spiritual gifts? Like you understand them better? Right? Show hands. Like you've made some progress. That's awesome. All right, so we kind of want to put a punctuation mark on that process, and we want to give you something to do with it. If you haven't caught all of the, the series, all of the resources are available out in the lobby in those folder holder thingies out there. They're also available, downloadable, website, ac3.org, uversion, uh, or Facebook page you can get if you've missed any of these weeks. But the final resource this week, hopefully you've gone through, you've determined which element you're primarily identified with, you've got a list of spiritual gifts that you and some people who know you have identified, and uh, you've, you've got that maybe hopefully confirmed. This week, it's just a one-page resource, and at the top of it, there's a list of contacts here at AC3, leaders who uh, are overseeing particular ministries. And I want you to take that home, think about it, pray about it, think about your giftings and what you've learned this month and where you may be able to connect with one of these ministries. Think about, is this where God's perhaps calling me to get my gifts in the game? And then contact that person and just have a conversation. This is not a commitment on your part to sign up for the next 20 years to work in the nursery or whatever. This is just an opportunity to have a conversation about what might be a next step. The bottom of it, this is perforated, the bottom of it is for you to fill out, put your name, contact info, which element you think you are, what you think your spiritual gifts are, and drop it in the offering box. And then we're going to keep a list at the office of 
people, okay, here's a group, all the folks with water gifts, and here's all the folks with wind gifts. And when something comes up around here, we're going to say, hey, we'll reach out to that group of people and give them the opportunity to engage in this. And again, we, won't, we will not misuse this power. We're not Facebook. We will not misuse your data. Um, uh, but it will, it's an, it will be able to give you an opportunity based on your gifting. So uh, again, this is all available online. You can even fill out the little uh, survey there at the bottom online, version app, Facebook, all that good stuff. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to dismiss you. I hope that you can stick around for extended. We're going to talk a little bit more, and then we're going to break out into our last discussion groups based on our elements. If not, we will see you next week when we start our new series, Seattle the Musical, where we look at our unique little subculture here in the Northwest. But for now, Lord, we pause. We acknowledge that you are the giver of gifts. We acknowledge that, Jesus, we are your body, the hands and feet of the Christ. Lord, help us to feel the full weight of that and to release the full beauty of it in all that we do. And I pray this in your name. Amen.